Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Oak Hill Podcast, Deep Roots, Conversations About Life and Ministry. I'm Eric Ortland, and I'm back from sabbatical, uh, and I'm going to be standing in for my colleague Tim Ward, who's going on sabbatical uh, until the summer. And I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Graham. Graham, would you like to introduce yourself for anyone who might not know you? Sure, gladly. I'm Graham Bynan uh, here at Oak Hill. I am the Director of Independent Training. Um, I'm at the college a couple of days a week. The rest of my time, I'm pastor of Grace Church in Cambridge. Now, Graham, you and I were talking together a couple of weeks ago, and you mentioned you had preached through Ecclesiastes. I had just been working on Ecclesiastes on the sabbatical and been writing about it, and we thought this would be a good, good book to bring to the podcast, but not an easy book to bring to the podcast. No, no, not easy at all. In fact, um, uh, we had a discussion as elders at our church about preaching series. It was maybe six months into the pandemic, and someone said, we should do Ecclesiastes, <laughs> because everyone's asking questions about meaning of life and everything. <laughs> yeah. And they were really keen, and I was sitting in the corner going, guys, it's really hard. <laughs> it's, you don't know what you're asking for. And I know I'm going to have to do most of this preaching. Um, but they pushed, I relented, and I was really pleased that we did. It was great. I'm glad. It was really great. Ecclesiastes is not a book that people have mild reactions to. Yeah. You either love it or hate it, but it's a tough get book to get through yeah. regardless. My sense is that the book is trying to teach us things that we know are true, but that are hard to listen to. They're easier to ignore, easier just not to remember. Yeah. D does that fit with your experience? Yeah, it does. It does. And I think that even connects with like how it's written and the experience of reading it. It's not simply propositional. Hey, you're going to die, guys. Yeah. Life is short. Yeah. It, it takes simple facts like that, but kind of, uh, takes you on a journey through them. And so it's almost like an experience you have <laughs> in reading through it. And that that experience is like, is part of the point. Yes. And you won't get it otherwise. Yes. Yes. Instead of, you know, being spoon fed proverb after proverb after proverb. For sure. Yeah. It's you, you, you have to journey through the book to the very end. Yeah. And I feel often like it, it's, it's like a, a camera coming into focus where if I've read it through several times, Many questions at the beginning, by the end, okay, I understand yeah. more what he wants yeah. to say. Yeah. yeah. Graham, what would you say to someone, and I've come across this opinion, and although I disagree with it, I understand it. What would you say to a Christian who takes a negative view of Ecclesiastes and says, Ecclesiastes is in the canon to show us what we, that life has no meaning without God. It's taking a secular position to its logical outcome, something like that. That's yeah. one way the book is approached. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, no, and I've come across that, and I can see the attraction because there are lots of passages which read a little like that. Life yeah. is meaningless and empty and futile, and effectively, what's the point? Yeah, uh, yeah. life, you know, life is hard, and then you die. Um, and so they then say, "Well, there's the problem, and the answer is Jesus, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we have resurrection hope, and life is meaningful in Him, and yeah. so on." Um, no. All that I've just said in the second half is true. Yes. Um, but I think uh, Ecclesiastes is not as negative as that. Um, I think it's dealing with life in a fallen world. Yes. Uh, in which the answer will be Jesus. But I think the answer is actually in Ecclesiastes itself yeah. still. Yeah. And 
what you'd have to then do is to get into, which we will in a second, I'm sure, yes. get into some of the key kind of interpretive issues. Yeah. What is what is this meaningless thing? Yeah. Um, and how do we put the whole book together? Yeah. Um, that that's going to be some of the some of the detail which would help convince that person. I've never read a book like Ecclesiastes before ever by any Christian anywhere. I, I am fascinated by this unique text, and especially the way it says some of the most dis- depressing, disturbing things, things I don't want to think about, yeah. like how quickly my life will be over, yeah. how little I am in control of, and how little impact I have under the sun. And that that's going to be important that we come yeah. back to that. Yeah. And yet at the same time, you get this exuberant joy in just earthly things that you will never find anywhere else in scripture, just enjoying your work, whatever it is, enjoying yeah. your food with your friends. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a skeptical, cynical atheist to me. No. So so I, I have never found convincing someone who says that's life without God, when it seems to me the whole point of the book is every day is a gift from God yeah. to be enjoyed as such. Yeah. That doesn't sound like an atheist talking to me. No, it doesn't. And what you have to do is try and put together those more, dis- what sound like more despairing passages. Yes with the type of passages you've just been mentioning, enjoy life. God God has already approved of what you're doing in life. That kind of line. Put those together and think, what it, what picture of life is he painting for us? Here? Yes. And what fascinates me is the book wants us to put those together. And it's not like you leave behind the depressing stuff to get to the happy stuff. Yeah. Both always go together. And I even get, tell me if you would agree, I get the sense that Ecclesiastes thinks we cannot really enjoy life as a gift from God without the depressing stuff there. We won't enjoy it as a gift otherwise. Yeah, no, I think that's right. It's, it's when you've come to realize things like how transient and brief it is. That you say, so I want to enjoy each day as a gift, each day I have. I Ecclesiastes is one of my favorites in the Bible, because whenever I finish reading it, I feel calm and sort of sane, <laughs> yeah. and like I can go back to ordinary life, and I feel, it's, it's like physical therapy, you know, yeah. where someone's working into your muscles and it hurts, but when they stop, you just feel great. Yeah. And I, Ecclesiastes is therapeutic for me yeah. in that yeah. way. Now, you have the NIV open there. I do. And very first word, meaningless, meaningless, totally meaningless. We need to talk about the translation there. We do. I don't want to rip on the NIV, but I think the NIV, tell me what you think. My opinion is that the NIV has put the reader at a disadvantage by translating that word that way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I had to spend my first sermon discussing this word. (laughs) Um, So if we say meaningless in English... We tend to think uh, directionless, kind of existential angst, what are we all about, and so on. Um, And the word um, uh, could be translated breath or vapor or something like that. And in lots of instances um, uh, in Scripture elsewhere, it's very much to do with the brevity of life, Mm. um, that our life is just a breath. Hmm. And there are some instances, I would say, in Ecclesiastes, where it's pointed out there's someone to know what you think in a second. Yeah, yeah. But the kind of, um, you know, you enjoy life with your wife, all the days of this fleeting life, yeah. brief life, yeah. um, uh, banish um, anxiety and cast off the troubles of youth for, for youth and vigor are fleeting, brief. That's so, 
but, but but then but then elsewhere that yes. kind of idea of transient doesn't quite work so yes. well. Yes. So does it have a mixture of meanings, or is there a more kind of basic meaning? Yes. Uh, what did you say in your commentary? So I, I I think that the man who wrote this is something of a genius who is able to take normal Hebrew and, and kind of twist it in his own ways, not in utterly unique ways. Yeah. But uh, the verse you quoted earlier from the end of chapter 11, enjoy youth because it is, and the word in, he, in Hebrew is hebel, yeah. that gets translated as meaningless. It can't mean meaningless there. No. Because... If life is meaningless, that's not a reason to enjoy it. But if it's transient or fleeting, if it's a breath, well, then that makes perfect sense. Enjoy youth before it's gone. Yeah. Fine. I also get the strong sense, tell me what you think, that elsewhere in the Old Testament and definitely in Ecclesiastes, it, it, it's, it's, you never quite get away from the sense of fleeting, but you have this sense of it, does, it doesn't give me what I legitimately expect from it. Yeah. It's disappointing and frustrating. Yeah. And in vain, I think, is a good translation in a number of points. Yes. I, I'm not sure any one word in English quite gets everything he's saying. You yeah. have to vary. But I remember in chapter 2, he, the, the man, um, the teacher, which I think is a good translation of yeah. uh, from the NIV, he, 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 it's not that he fails in everything he wants to do in life. We get a kind of mini autobiography in chapters yeah. one and chapter two. He yeah. succeeds. He accomplished yeah. everything on his agenda. He got yeah. done. And he faced how quickly he was going to have to pass it on to someone else. And he was going to be gone. And this other person might ruin it all. He has no control over that. Yeah. And he says, why then have I been so very wise? Yeah. And it's as if he wanted something more from all those accomplishments that he didn't get. So the brevity and the vanity, the frustration, the futility, that idea seems prominent in the yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I th and I think that then does have implications for what we might think of as the meaning of life. Mm. Mm. Because it does mean that pursuing things in life is going to be empty mm. and frustrating. So so you, you can kind of arrive at that existential sense of meaning mm. eventually. But it's not what the word means in the first right. instance. Right. And if we think that, then I think we're already off down an unhelpful path. Yes. Uh, particularly down that path of... Well, this book is just saying everything's empty and and the sort of the 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 skeptic yes. kind of approach yeah. that you were outlining at the beginning, and that life is not worth engaging with, yeah. and and the book wants to push us exactly in the opposite direction from for that. sure. One sure. of when the articles I read on the book pointed out that if if he's saying everything is meaningless, there's no reason for him to say something is better than something else. Yeah. If everything's meaningless, yeah. if it's meaningless, there's no reason for God to bring everything into judgment, yeah. whether small or little. Yeah. That just won't work. Yeah. Yeah. What? How, how did you, when you preached Ecclesiastes, what word did you use for Hebel? Yeah, we <laughs> we varied. Yeah. I mean, because I think it is yeah. tricky. Yeah. Um, I began just by saying it was like breath. Yeah. Um, and that it was fleeting like breath, it was insubstantial, yeah. and you couldn't get hold of it. Yeah. That kind of sense. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it's the very opposite of something being kind of concrete. Yes, yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, life in a fallen world. Yeah. Would you agree with the statement that Ecclesiastes is, is a commentary on life after Genesis 3 and wise instruction in how to live in a world that is good but under God's curse, which I want to explain, yeah. but in general— that that Ecclesiastes is the one part of the uh, of the Bible where God says, "Let me help you deal with life after the fall." Yeah, and the things that have gone wrong with creation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's worth um, just passing it backing up slightly and seeing it as part of the wisdom literature. Yes, and just thinking of wisdom literature as different to like 
the 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 salvation history kind yeah. of events yes. of what God is doing, and different to instruction in law as to how to live. Yes. yes. But helping us understand exactly this life in a fallen world. Yes. So Job understanding the perplexity of suffering, or or even not understanding, yeah. gra- grappling with. Um, uh, Proverbs perhaps giving us some of the regularities and normalities of how life tends to go. Yeah. And Ecclesiastes maybe even as countering that or complementing that, some of the other th- ways life goes in being confusing, you know, life and events happen to everyone and you're not in control. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that God wants us to read. That's that's yeah. our Heavenly Father instructing us yeah. in this. Yeah. Um, I found it really helpful when I was writing to keep Genesis 3 in the back of my mind. And when God curses creation, that does not mean he thinks it's bad or awful. Creation is still good. Creation, it just curses the opposite of blessing. It means creation will not work with the same easy success and abundance and fertility that it would have had otherwise. It's by the sweat of your brow that you eke out. So within that, um, I suppose, I mean, we can use the Pauline term frustration, Ecclesiastes is helping us negotiate life. It, it's important to put Ecclesiastes in the context of wisdom literature. It fascinates me that the Old Testament isn't just a set of rules. Yeah. Living in God's world is more than just being good and following the rules. Yeah. You need this kind of skill in the subtleties of it. Ex- that's fascinating to me. Yeah. 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 How would you... What mistakes might it be easy for... Let me put you on the spot a little <laughs> bit. What mistakes might it be easy for Christians to make if Ecclesiastes was not in the canon? Hmm. That's yeah. I need advance warning on these sort of questions. Apo- apologies. No, we, we can it's circle fine. back around. No, no, to it's it fine. If you want. It's fine. I'll have a go. I'll have a go, and then you can tell me the right answer. <laughs> um, I think we'll just take that comparison with proverbs. Mm. Something like you know, train a child in the way they should go, and mm. in the future they won't depart from it. Mm. That's my paraphrase. Yeah. Um, and it's an observation on sort of some of the regularities. Like now, even that, that, that that's not a promise mm. that nothing would ever go wrong with your child if you've raised them properly. But it's an observation of how things tend to go. Mm. And if you multiply those, you're going to tend to think there's a kind of regularity and normality to life, which doesn't, which does fit because God's world has a sort of order to it. Mm. But it doesn't fit with that frustration. And futility. And we could end up going, what's gone wrong with my life? I don't understand. And what did I do wrong? And therefore, and therefore, what did I do wrong? Why am I to blame? What Did I make some mistake or is God against me in some yes. way? Yes. Rather than, you know what? Life is incredibly mixed and uh, lots of really rubbish stuff is actually going to happen. Yeah. And you're not in control. Yeah. And it could feel like you will you, you will pass through this world and not, not leave a mark on it. Yeah. But, and we'll get to this, I guess, but that doesn't mean it's pointless. And that doesn't mean there's not a good way to live in it. And that doesn't mean it's meant to be rejected. For sure, yeah. The, the cynic who holds back from everything, yeah. who is certain there's, there's something else going on and never wants to be taken in again. Yeah. Ecclesiastes is very much not wanting us to go there and trying to protect us yeah, from that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, from verse, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1 seem to me crucial for the whole book. Vanity of vanities or breath of breaths, whoever yeah. exactly want to say that. And then one prophet is there for a man in all his toil with which he labors under the sun. Yes. And that under the sun phrase I find really helpful for the whole book. 
Kohel, sorry, the, the teacher is not denying an above-the-sun reality. Yeah. Um, one commentary I read helpfully said that part of what it means for God to be God is that he's not subject to this transience sure. and, and vanity and whatnot. But in life under the sun, which is also another way of saying life within this age before the eschaton. Yes. Um, they're, they're, they've found graves from ancient Phoenicia, I think, that talk about the time of the the dead persons, the time that they were under the sun. So it means it's not just spatial, but the time of your earthly life. Yes. I think if I were to answer my own difficult question, apologies for putting you on the spot, I think Ecclesiastes helps us not to have an over-realized eschatology. Yeah. Yeah. It helps us be realistic about life in this age before the second coming, before the new creation, yeah. and live wisely and and still be able to engage with life and drink it to the lees yeah. and just relish it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the yeah. way that the teacher goes about that is just fascinating to yeah. me. Yeah. But. yeah, yeah. Now, all of that means that our whole approach to the book is really significant. Mm. It's, and and as a preacher, you know, it's one of one of the dangers of if you just started started week one in chapter one mm. <laughs> and hadn't decided how you're going to approach the whole thing, mm. you'd be in real trouble by yeah. chapter three or four. Yes. Um, uh, is it is it worth just outlining some of the different ways people? take it and maybe some of the, that might connect with some commentaries i yeah yeah i see basically three approaches mm-hmm. to the book you, yep. you tell me if if this fits with what you've read yeah on the one hand i i've read people that i thought mishandled the book either by not giving enough attention to the frustration in the book mm-hmm. or not enough attention to the joy yeah <laughs> that's the difficult thing i i i i say in the thing i wrote you need to keep a sense of bothness in Ecclesiastes. Life is both really frustrating and really good, both at the same time, always. And I've read, um, I don't think I've read Longnecker actually, but I've read some commentaries. Uh, One, by a very final Testament scholar that just took the word as brief and and took it as a way of saying, all the frustrating stuff is going to be over soon, so it's all okay. And he didn't do justice to the frustrating aspect. I've read others uh, by Tremper Longman, which is a name probably many people know, and another one by James Crenshaw, who only got the frustration and life is bad, and only took it negatively. And um, James Crenshaw in his commentary actually on some of the joy passages, he will just say, this doesn't seem to fit in the book at all, and maybe somebody added added it later, which is completely unconvincing, you know. And yet I've come across a couple of commentaries that I think got the bothness really well. Yeah. I think in general, those are the sorts of things I read. Does that fit yeah. with yeah. 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 Does that fit with what you've read? Yeah, it does. It does. I, because I was struggling so much in understanding it, I think I bought more commentaries on Ecclesiastes than I have on lots of other books. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you soon learn that how they take the whole book and how they take uh, hevel, breath, futility yes. is really key. Yes. Um, so Longman, for example, basically takes the the majority of the book as basically kind of wrong. It's kind of heretical. It's like expressing a skeptical desire that they shouldn't have, and really yes. only the epilogue corrects it everything. Yes, which would make it a very strange book to preach. Very strange. Um, others, it seems to me, take a little bit more of a mixed position, kind of going. He's kind of almost lapses into skepticism sometimes but then kind of brings himself back out of it. And sometimes they connect that to the under the sun sort of language, or now I'm almost like I'm pretending God doesn't exist, so I'm being negative. Oh, now I'm remembering he does. But it seems to me the under the sun language doesn't work that neatly. Um, and then what you end up doing is effectively evaluating, do I think this is a, 
a correct passage or a wrong passage. And in both of those, you you basically end up only ever saying what you know is true from elsewhere. <laughs> you can sort of read your theology in. Exactly. And in the history of interpretation, it's common to have some people saying, oh, Kohelet is arguing with skeptics yeah. and disagreeing with stuff. Yeah. But that's way too easy. Yeah, yeah. And then others take it as a, no, this is basically an orthodox book all the way through. Some statements taken in isolation are, are, re- are hard, and we'll, perhaps we'll mention some particularly difficult bits mm. later on. Mm. Um, and yet, actually, it's not just that the the uh, the epilogue about fearing God and so on, and he'll bring everything to judgment. It's not it's not that that just provides a kind of oh, there's our final kind of safeguard. Sa- safeguard. Yeah. Actually, that drips through the whole book. It does. So mentions of fearing God and mentions of judgment come through the book. Yeah. Um, and are almost little anchor points. Yeah. I think which help us see that that we're being helped all the way through to wrestle with yes. the frustration and the joy in the light of what will come. It's brilliant to me that the teacher never lapses into cynicism and never says, oh, it doesn't matter if you obey God or not, or why, just yeah. do whatever you want. Because, But he will, he will want to say, there are things you could reasonably expect, to use New Covenant language, from being a good Christian, and they may not always obtain. For sure. Your life may not, it is still absolutely worth obeying God. Yeah. But be realistic about the screwiness of life. Yeah. It it life will not always play out the way you could reasonably expect. Yeah. But he doesn't go the direction we expect and say, well, who cares? Who cares about discipleship yeah. or anything? He still says unambiguously it is absolutely worth doing that. Yeah. But he's helping us have realistic expectations about yeah. life after the fall. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I was reading a thing from a pastor I liked on Ecclesiastes, and at one point he said, go ahead and get frustrated and lose your faith. There's some kinds of faith worth losing. Huh. And that stuck in my mind as one of the reasons I, I warm to this difficult, depressing, outrageous sort of book. Yeah. Um, I find my tendency, I, I, I'd summarize the book as basically saying, I, I don't think it's about meaning so much, it's about value. Mm-hmm. It's about what value does your life has. In chapter 2, verse 3, he makes a search to see what is good for the sons of men to do in all the days of their life yes. under the sun. Yes. What's worth investing your time in? Yeah. What's the best life to live? Um, and, and, and I find my own tendency, if you were to ask me, if I haven't read Ecclesiastes for a while, if you were to ask me, why is all your work worth doing, Eric? I would probably tend to say I'm making a mark in the world. I'm making a difference. Mm. And I I just managed to sort of bracket out and not notice very soon I'm going to be in the ground. And although my eschatological reward is sure, very soon it will be as if I never existed. Yeah. And I feel that as a troubling imposition. I sort of think, well, why am I working so hard then? Yeah. And the teacher guides me to say it's only as you resolutely stare at that that you will be able to let go of being obsessed, I'm talking about myself here, I will be able to let go of being obsessed with my own accomplishments, wondering how much of a mark I'm making, and just say, the work God has given me today is a gift from God. Under the sun, I won't get anything permanent from it. This conversation, enjoyable as it is, will be forgotten sooner or later. It's still absolutely worth doing, because the God of eternity has given you two, us two, to talk about this today. That's the value that it has. I have never read that Anywhere, anywhere else in the Bible, any other Christian book, I've yeah. never come across that. I find that so helpful. Yeah, 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 very much. And I think it's particularly helpful for our culture today. Yes. 
That's the next thing I wanted to ask well, you. Well, because just, I mean, in terms of denying the reality of death and the transience of life, I mean, that was one reason it was interesting doing it in the pandemic. Yes. Um, and of course, it wasn't the pandemic um, made death more of a reality. It only made it a more conscious yeah. reality. Because yeah. we never had numbers of people dying before yeah. uh, on the news. Yeah. Um, and um, but like but you know, the, the statistics ultimately didn't change. One in one die. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just even in chapter one, that thing about being forgotten. Yeah. Um, yeah. I told people at the end, my, one of my applications, I had some unusual applications in um, in Ecclesiastes. I told people to visit graveyards. And I told them to visit a graveyard and find a gravestone that had a nice, you know, engraving yeah. on it. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, in, a name and dates and yeah. loving father, whatever. Okay, imagine your name on that gravestone and what it would say about you. And then I said, go and find an, an old, really old gravestone where the whole thing is really weathered. And you can't read And you the can't name. even read the thing. And exactly. Think, That's your gravestone now. Exactly. No one even remembers you existed and knows who you are. I, I, I will do exactly this, exactly the same thing. I will say, go to a grave, read the name, yeah. and, and etch your name yeah. there. For me, 1976 to whatever. And then imagine the wind and the weather wiping it away. Yeah. And eventually it's just, and and it's part of God's wisdom for us, God's imposition of frustration on yeah. creation. It's not a rejection of us. Yeah. It, it's not that he hates, it's, it, it's so easy to slip into the treacly, sentimentally sort of isn't life wonderful. Every Christmas time we get these horribly sentimental ads on the one hand, or on the other hand, just sheer cynicism that I'm not going to be taken in anymore and I'm not going to get my heart broken again. I will never be disappointed again yeah. because I will assume the worst about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And Ecclesiastes gives us a way to hold on to both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's by holding on to both of them. Yeah. I will. It's fascinating to me in chapter two, the teacher says almost nothing about God as he is out there killing it, doing everything he wanted to in life and having a great time and succeeding at everything. Mm. I mean, anything you want to accomplish in life, he did it. Yeah. He says basically nothing about God. Yeah. And if God had not subjected my life to frustration, if I, if, if, you know, I tell my students in Hebrew without the fall, you could just stare at the page and you'd get it. And you'd be up and reading the old Testament in about two weeks. It would be easy with the faults by the sweat of your brow that you get through this class, you yeah. know? If I could just master my existence, if there if it had never been subjected to frustration, would I care about God? Yeah. Would yeah. I? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, in, in the commentaries asked to write, I try to say, Ecclesiastes is the best of both worlds because after sin, God doesn't take our earthly lives away from us. He gives them to us. But he takes out of them everything that would make them spiritually dangerous. It, it's impossible, if we're honest, to turn them into an idol and find our satisfaction there, which is really very kind of us. But he still gives us each day to enjoy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. I was thinking at your comment earlier that you don't read that elsewhere in the Bible, and I agree there's an emphasis here yes. in Ecclesiastes that you don't get elsewhere. Yes. But one of the things I was struck by was some of the New Testament resonances Tell me. Um, we've mentioned Romans 8. Yes. Futility or frustration is perhaps yes. a bit of a global term yes. for, the, for the book. But, for example, the idol of money, for example. I think when Paul wrote 1 Timothy 6 about the love of money, uh, root of evil and so on, yeah. and you enter the world with nothing, leave with nothing, he's been reading Ecclesiastes. Yes. Yeah. And it's, some of it's almost a paraphrase. Yeah. Um, and then something like, 
uh, James uh, 4 and your life is a mist is very much Ecclesiastes. And so you're not in control. Yes. And you can't say what you're going to go and do and not do in life. Yes. It's all subject to other other forces. Yes. Outside of your control. Yeah. 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 And then some of the stuff on good gifts, 1 Timothy um, uh, 5, for example, about, you know, Bits of creation, all of creation's good gift from God to be yes. enjoyed. Yes. Uh, James 1 about good gifts from our Father. Yes. Um, really em- echoing some of the food and drink and yes. life with your wife and so on is a good yes. gift from God. So just seeing some of those helped me both think this isn't this isn't unusual. Yeah. Um, and again, and it's not like the New Testament suddenly turns it all on its head and goes, oh, God, I've got a spiritual answer for you. And, it, and we don't have to worry about Ecclesiastes anymore. Exactly. Yeah. I heard a sermon on Ecclesiastes once that gave the most perfect sermon illustration, I think. The preacher you know, went through the text, and then he held up his coffee cup. He said, this is my favorite coffee mug, and I drank coffee out of it this morning. Yeah. And then against the background of everything in your life is a gift. You you didn't win that for yourself, and it's all going to slip away from you very quickly, but yeah. God gave that to you. He said, okay, let's think about this. 5,000 years ago, there was some Sumerian man working the field, and he sees his son playing around in the mud, and he's making different shapes, and then the sun runs off, and the sun is shining down, it's hot, and he sees that the mud stays in those shapes, and he thinks, the Sumerian man thinks, hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to mess around with that. I wonder if I make that clay even hotter. I, won't, I wonder what will happen. Yeah. And at some point, pottery is invented, and it spreads throughout the world, and it's refined. And, and the preacher said, one of the reasons why God gave it to that, whoever that Sumerian gentleman was, however many thousands of years ago, was so that I, in 2020, could enjoy a cup of coffee this morning. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why that happened. It's, it's kind of staggering to say, each half hour I have in my day is a present from God that he won't give me forever, but I did not create this. I can't hold on to it. I don't know what results it will have. He says in chapter 11, work in the morning, work in the evening. Don't withhold your hand from anything because you don't know what's going to succeed. Everything might succeed. It's out of your control. So so throw yourself in and leave it with God. That is so different. I I naturally tend to think I'm the one in control and I'm going to establish my own significance through my works. Yeah. It's so, it's so liberating for me to be freed from that. Yeah. One other New Testament resonance, I wonder if in the passage from Ecclesiastes 9, uh, God has already approved of everything you do. Yeah. I've always wondered if there's not an echo with justification by faith there, because the verb there is ratzah, uh-huh. which often gets used in, in Leviticus for the holy God receiving and accepting and approving your gifts, and you are able to enter his presence. And the word work there in Ecclesiastes means your day job, not religious works. And yet, the message in Ecclesiastes, you don't establish anything permanent through your work, but God has already approved of everything you do, irrespective of your accomplishment. Because long-term, you don't accomplish anything. Am I crazy to think that sounds close to justification by faith, irrespective of all our works? Am I reaching too much there? Uh, I'm I'm cautious. (laughs) That is just fine. But, but you have spent longer thinking about it than I have. So, yeah. The, the already approving, irrespective of accomplishment. Sure. Feels not yeah, the, yeah. It's not the same. No, no. It feels like an echo yeah. there, I can see, I can, I can see. I can see a parallel idea. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm less sure that's immediately what's happening yeah. in, 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 yeah. in uh, chapter 9. What yeah. I think is happening in chapter 9 about the embracing your work and working 
like with all your strength. Yes. I do think Paul picks that up in spaces like Colossians 3, whatever yeah. you do, work at it with all your heart. Yeah. And, yeah. and ultimately for the same reason, because you have a heavenly father and a heavenly judge, a heavenly master. Exactly. Who will reward with you for what you do. Exactly. Uh, have you read David Gibson's uh, Destiny? I have. Learning to Live by Preparing to Die. I think I that's my favorite book on Ecclesiastes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really helpful, really helpful. Um uh, he didn't do. He doesn't do every passage. That's right. <laughs> so we decided to preach all the way through. Occasionally Good for you. Went, occasionally went, David, where's where's <laughs> help us out <laughs> here? Help us out here. Um, but he takes this kind of approach we're talking about, obviously, yes. and I think is really helpful. I want to ask you what your favorite passage in the book is, but before I do, Ecclesiastes talks about religion more than once. Yeah. In a New Covenant context, let's say there's a Christian who, with the best of intentions, ignores the difficult but wise teaching of Ecclesiastes. How might that show up in church on Sunday morning? What? How might it be easy for—I'm putting you on the spot again, Graham, I apologize. How, how might it be easy for Christians who perhaps don't take Ecclesiastes to heart the way they should to be unwise according to what Ecclesiastes thinks is wisdom? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think so. Well, I think I think the section in chapter five yes. on how you kind of come to the temple is just yes. is really interesting here. It's basically don't don't overpromise to God because you because you might not be able to do it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I guess we have to draw a distinction between what's sort of aspirational in terms of what would I sure. like to be able to do. Sure. But don't be. Just like with your work and everything else in life, don't be overconfident of what you will achieve and the mark you'll leave. The person, the enthusiastic and well-motivated believer who wants to say, I'm going to change the world for God. Yeah. Well, again, I admire the aspiration. Once yes. I don't want to dampen that down. Yes. But I do want to say, Ecclesiastes actually says, don't, don't say that sort of stuff because you don't know what you'll be able to do. It, it, I, I think that's a really helpful comment, and it fascinates me. I, it seems to me Ecclesiastes would want to say to that very enthusiastic, energetic young man, you are either going to have to lie to yourself about your range of influence, or you're going to start hating going to church. It's going to frustrate you so much because you're yeah. going to be saying, why can't I get my agenda done? Because yeah. life resists you, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and Ecclesiastes gives us a way to be frustrated with life without rejecting it. Yeah, yeah. Which, which which reminds me of something else I was conscious of in preaching it. Yeah. Tell me what you think of this. I ended up wrestling because I thought, you know what, this is like a middle-aged person's book. <laughs> I mean, I'm in my mid-50s, yeah. and so I have to go, yes, I really, really am middle-aged. And um, a man, some of this stuff is resonating with me. Yeah. And I'm finding some of the things about, you know, being forgotten and stuff, as we've already said, like curiously kind of grounding in kind of going, yep, that, yeah, that, that's your starting point. It's 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 edifying, and, and and so like very negative, yes, and yet, <laughs> yes, curiously grounding and edifying and encouraging. But what I found myself frustrated with was I kept on wanting to say to like our teenagers, yeah, and people in their twenties, yeah, it's like you've got to get your head around this, but I know you won't immediately feel it yeah. the way I feel it. Yeah, so it felt like a more Age and stage of life specific book. That's fascinating. Compared to other books of the Bible. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I in chapter seven, verse three, the, the ESV has sorrows better than laughter, for by sadness of fate uh, of face the heart is made glad. Yeah. That seems like a motto for the whole book. Yeah. There's a kind of sorrow that leads to a deeper and more solid joy. 
than you would have otherwise. Yeah. As opposed to just ignoring the things I don't want to think about in life. Yeah. And, and there's a happiness um, that's easier to get to, but is much more brittle and vulnerable. Yeah. What's your favorite passage in the book? Oh, was, that's, that's so difficult. Can I give you sort of some themes and, kind of, and mention some passages? Like Absolutely. I think part of the, a kind of um, don't try and fight life, mm. I kind of submit. Mm. I guess particularly chapter three, a yes. time for everything, that beautiful, yes. you know, tiny born, time to die, etc. Yes. I think in my sermon I called it kind of submit to the seasons. Wow. So that you don't, you know that time, ty- ty- you know, your life brings under God all these different elements. Yeah, there'll be a time to mourn. There'll be yeah. a time to rejoice. People yeah. will get married. They'll, they'll, you know, there'll be weddings. There'll be funerals. Yeah, um, there'll be health. There'll be sickness. Yeah, and rather than sort of railing against it, yeah, saying there is a time for these things, and yeah. the question then is, is how do I live well, well. in that time? Yeah, um, uh, it, it reminded me if you're. F- uh, forgive a, a cross reference of Lord of the Rings yes. and um, Gandalf um, saying say to Frodo something like that yes. it's not given to us to decide the times yes. we live in, yes, but to live well within those times. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever has been given to been yeah. given to us, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and, I was just, well, the other the other one that really comes to mind—it's kind of similar—is in chapter twelve. So, the, the, what I—that's where I was going to go. Well, so. Yeah, <laughs> so, what I think of as as the kind of you know, it's it's a sort of description of aging. Yes. Um, you know, in a sort of metaphorical thing, we had the funniest funniest moment in this. Um, as a lady at our church who heard me preaching this, uh, it was during bits of the pandemic. She was listening online at the time because of isolation. And she said she was sitting at home and she was just getting more and more angry. And, oh. she, and she said, said Graham, you're, you're telling me everything that's going on in my life. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> everything that's going wrong with me, oh, effectively. No. So you're, but what she was feeling was she was feeling the pain yeah. of that description. Yeah. And, and kind of both wanting to say, no, I hate it. And yeah. yet at the same time, you're right, it's happening. Yeah. And that sense again of it just—it's giving us, as it were, hard and painful truths, yeah. but truths that we that we will do well to submit to, and we'll rather be, than fight. And we'll be happier in the long run. And we'll be happy in the long run do. as a result. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love chapter three as well, especially eternity in their hearts. Yes, but so that we can't find out what God has done from beginning to end. So God puts our he 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 beautifully orders our lives in different seasons but he puts an impulse to something bigger and above time in us yeah but he we never can quite figure out what it is he blocks the sight of that he gives us very good lives but he doesn't let us get comfortable in them we know there's something more that explains so much about human beings and i can't find anywhere else in scripture that quite says it that way i'm thankful for that and i find chapter 12 just surreal and really gripping um, and I'm just glad it's in the Bible. You can read it about the breakdown of, bo- of the body. I wonder if it's even a little bit vaguer than that. Mm. If it's just meant to be a series of images communicating an atmosphere of, you know, birds gathering on windowsills and normal work in the town has stopped and there's dark storm clouds and it's all getting dark and quiet. And then in verse five, um, 
let's see, grasshopper drags itself alone, desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about in the streets. And it's almost like the town is shut down for a funeral, and they're bearing the casket, and you look in it, and it's you in Mm. that casket. And, And he is able to make you feel very much that the bell is tolling for you yeah. before it does. Yeah. Um, it's not the only passage about death in the Bible. It's it's beautiful to me that the Bible describes death as falling asleep. Yeah. Nothing you know, nothing more more strange than that. Just yeah. going to sleep in yeah. the hope of waking up in the yeah. resurrection. Yeah. But this yeah. is one of these passages. It is this this deep sense of mourning and that something precious is being lost and and the teacher won't let us look away. Yeah. And it connects with what you were saying about keeping Genesis 3 in mind because it has the dust returning to the yes. ground. Yes. Echoing Genesis 3 directly. Yes. Um, and I've actually, ended up, since preaching it, I've ended up using some sections of chapter 12, particularly that kind of remembering him before the silver cord is severed and so yeah. on, using that at funerals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and the spirit returning to God yeah. who gave it. Yeah. Yeah, just that hint of a much better world in the new creation. Yeah, but that's not what Ecclesiastes is about. Yeah, so. yeah. We've mentioned frustrating passages. Yes, perhaps we shouldn't end on this note <laughs> because it would be negative. Like, but you've you've had to write something on it. I've had to preach through it. Yes. Were there passages where you ended up just going, "I still don't really know what's going on here"? That, that's a good question. There are a couple of verses in chapter four like the king is served by a field and whatnot in verses 7 and 8. Yeah. I, I, I still struggle with those. I find them very cryptic. Um, I had to rely very heavily on a book by Zach Eswine, mm-hmm. who teaches a covenant, who writes on Ecclesiastes very helpfully. Chapter 10 is a bit obscure to yeah. me. I found Zach, Zach Eswine very helpful there. Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple passages in chapter 4 in the middle parts of the book Chapters 1 through 3, 11 and 12, I, I, I feel I have a firmer grasp on. Yeah. You? Yeah. It, to be honest, it depended a little bit. I didn't. Pr- I preached most of it, but I didn't preach every passage. Mm. And so where I didn't have to do the work yeah. <laughs> in getting into the commentaries. Yeah. So like I just glanced at earlier, chapter 7, not being over-righteous or being over-wise or being over-wicked. It's like, you know, in context, maybe I could make more of that. But at first yeah. sight, at least, it's like... It's a what? shocking. It's a shocking thing to it's say. It's a shocking thing to say. Yeah. Um, I can't help but think of the over righteousness there. Is that that enthusiastic young man? Okay. Who is promising himself great results from his piety? Yeah. And hasn't factored in the frustration of creation and the curse. And in let's see, in chapter seven, it's don't be over righteous. Yeah. Don't be overly righteous. Don't make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? That. There's a kind of brittle, naive faith that can give up on God and give up on Christianity when it doesn't get what it wants right away, because why isn't this obeying me? I wonder if the teacher is helping us, defending us against a kind of naive spirituality that hasn't reckoned with how God disposes this present age. That's what I wonder. Well, there's a good example of, you know, a little bit of Ecclesiastes where you read it at first sight, you go, yeah. what on earth is that, about? <laughs> yeah. that does, and, and even that can't be right. Yes, yes. I mean, chapter 10, money is the answer for everything. <laughs> that can't be right. And in fact, it can't even be right in Ecclesiastes because he's right. already told us how it isn't the answer to everything. Right. And right. you'll leave without it and so on. Right. And yet wrestling with it, um, you come up with some, some, of, the, some of the more profound insights. Yes. Uh, 
if you read Ecclesiastes and you think that the Bible cannot be saying that, you're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. He's trying to provoke you and prod you. I mean, it says at the end that the words of the wise are like goads, yeah. which is meant to push you where you don't want to go. Yeah. So you're not doing anything wrong if you if yeah. you hear it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. But it's worth wrestling with. Yes. There is gold. Yes. <laughs> that you will <laughs> not you find do. anywhere else in the Bible. Yeah. It really is unique. Yeah. That's a convenient place to stop. Thank you so much for joining us. Please feel free to leave a comment with any questions that you have. Thanks. Thanks.